Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Let's Run.com Track Talk podcast. This is Jonathan Galt. I'll be joined shortly by Let's Run.com co-founders and co-hosts, Weldon Johnson and Robert Johnson. We've got a great guest for you later in the show as well. Paul Chalimo, the Olympic silver medalist, is here. Plenty of stuff to talk about with him. But before we get to that, another busy week in track and field. Let's Run.com. On Founders Day, no less, goes to visit with Jim Ryan after he was awarded the Presidential Medal of Freedom. Trayvon Bromel is well and truly back, baby. Runs 9.90 for 100, his fastest time in four years. World champion Elijah Manningoy, he has been suspended for whereabouts failures. World Athletics has updated their shoe rules. There's a glimmer of hope for the London Marathon this fall, and the Monaco Diamond League is looking like it's going to be the meat of the year. So plenty of talk. stuff to talk about this week guys john you missed the big news guys the fargo marathon has been canceled i know a lot of people are holding out hope for that but there's optimism i will be lining them up tomorrow in a legit legally approved cross-country race in connecticut i'm not sure if i can promote this or not but i think i can i mean for sure email me if you're interested but us people in the tri-state area who got hit the hardest, we are now back racing legally. I heard about this. I'm like, I just got to do this. Well, Weldon's upset about what you said in the intro. I'm upset about something as well, John. You lied. Founders Day, our birthday is July 24th. Not only do we hang out with Jim Ryan, hung out with Matthew Sentowitz, Alan Webb, more on that soon. But guys, before we get to this week's content, folks, I've got some really exciting news, and I'm going to drop it here on the podcast because you guys and gals are the most loyal listeners. You're the heart and soul of the website. We're going to announce this later to everybody else, but you guys deserve it first. The Let's Run.com Supporters Club is here, and you can become a founding member. Go to Let's Run.com slash subscribe to check it all out. It's going to be amazing. Ad-free message board experience, subscribers-only content, including stuff from John Kellogg, bonus podcasts, early access to the Let's Run features, all of that, and much more, including incredible discounts. You're basically going to be making money if you go and check this out because you can save so much that we're not allowed to tell you how much money you can save. But, Weldon, you'd use the code today. How much money did you save? Robert, I saved over 50 bucks yesterday on two pairs of shoes. Officially, we can say you'll save 20% with a few limited exceptions, and I'm not sure if you can find those exceptions. 20% for 20th anniversary doesn't get any better than that. This is at Pacers Running, one of the biggest online specialty running stores on the East Coast, owned by Chris Farley and Julie Culley, the 2012 Olympian. Got that right, John, I think. And Georgetown head coach as well. And Georgetown head coach. I mean, this is a win-win-win. So early people want to check this out. Let's run.com slash subscribe. Yeah, I would say honestly, for the the shoe discounts alone makes this worth your while. If you're like me and you buy a few pairs of running shoes, you're a decently serious runner, you buy a few pairs of shoes a year, the shoe mem- the shoe discounts alone will pay for this thing. Plus you're gonna get a lot of other bonus features as well. So highly recommend signing up. And you'll support us. So it's a win-win-win. You support us, you support an Olympian, you save money, etc. And Basically risk-free because it's only $1 for the first month if you want to try it out. And guys, I think I'm going to do throw something out there because there was briefly a link on the message board to this. And someone said, well, you know, 
I can't si sign up because Rojo never sent me my Pan Am t-shirt. Last year we had a fundraiser for the Pan Ams. And I promised anyone who donated $50, I would send them a free t-shirt. And that's true. I haven't done it. So now I'm motivated. I'm making the shirts. John, I sent you. It's a. It's not a Pan Am t-shirt. It's a. Do we want to tell them what the t-shirt is? It's a. It's a Kipchoge goat t-shirt. It looks awesome. I would definitely wear one around. It's really fun. Anyways, I'm about to send these out to the Pan Am subscribers. Screw it. Podcast listeners, if you sign up for our membership, our Founders Club, by next Wednesday, when I record this podcast by next Wednesday, I will send you a free. Kipchoge damn t-shirt. So sign up now and then email me robert at letsrun.com. Robert at letsrun.com. Tell me the your name, your sign-up name for the membership, and I will send you this shirt, which is going to be like, if we were selling them, it would be like 40 bucks. So that's only for one week. Do it now. Robert at Let's Run. Uh-oh. Robert's stepping in it. I hope that free t-shirt offers only for the annual subscribers annual subscription 99 bucks monthly subscription 9.99 a month you but you get your first month for a dollar if that and if the t-shirt offer is for the monthly i'm capping that i gotta cap that at like 25 people i don't care who it is monthly or annual send me the email i'll work it out i'm not capping it but you only have until next wednesday to do this let's run.com slash subscribe all right guys Last weekend, when we last left, left off, last I heard from you, you would, were planning on going to this Jim Ryan celebration. He had his son hosted a gathering after Jim Ryan was awarded the Presidential Medal of Freedom last week. And there were some famous runners in attendance. I'm not talking about Messrs. Johnson. I'm talking Jim Ryan, obviously, the Olympic silver medalist, but also Matthew Centrowitz was there, Alan Webb. I need the scoop. Centro has basically been MIA this season. Did you guys talk to him? What's going on there? What was the whole vibe like? Tell me about it. Well, it was really cool. And I'm hoping to get permission. I took a lot of photos, took some videos, speeches, etc. Hoping to get some permission to share this with that's our nation. But yeah, Jim Ryan became only the second track and field athlete to receive the Presidential Medal of Freedom, the highest civilian honor in the country. And Jim reached out, I guess, to Alan Webb and Matthew Centrowitz and invited them to come. And they flew in, went to the White House, got their COVID test. And, I mean, there's a cool photo of Centro and his gold medal, Ryan, Webb, uh, you know, in the White House, in the Oval Office. And then they, there was a banquet at the, at, at Ned Ryan's house, Jim's son, out in Virginia, out in, in Drew Hunter country, right by Drew Hunter's high school, actually. Um, and it was a small gathering. I'd say about 50 people. I was a little bit worried about COVID, John, not going to lie, but it was outside. And most of the people there had been to the White House that day and had already been COVID tested. And they had hand sanitizer on all the tables. People were trying to socially distance. But it was cool to see just royalty of American 1500 meters, you know, all together. Um, I got a great photo of Webb Centro, Centro Senior, who also an Olympian in the 1500, and Jim Ryan. It seems like there's a cool fraternity between those guys that, you know, Ryan emailed Centro right before the, he won gold in the Olympic final in 2016. And I know he said when he was matched up, they were matched up together in a Let's Run American GOAT tournament. And Centro tweeted out, I think, saying it was an honor to be matched up against Jim Ryan, who is a legend. 
what what's the relationship between those three and the American Milus Club like? Yeah, well, podcast listeners know that they were emailing that Jim Ryan and Centrowitz emailed the day that he won the gold medal before he won the gold medal, and I, I found out here they'd actually never met in person, but it, it was clear that um, Centrowitz always looked up to Ryan and was inspired by Ryan. So Matt Centrowitz Senior, the the father, he told me before they had some speeches. He's like, you know. Matt and myself, we don't like to read a lot of books. We're not the most scholarly people. But I gave Matt a book when he was a kid. I gave him the Jim Ryan story. And I think that's the only book he ever read. I'm not sure if he finished it. But in, in, in Central Matthews, in Matthew's speech, Olympic gold medalist's speech, he's like, he said basically the same story. He's like, yeah, but this is the only book I actually read. And I read it several times. He's like, I feel like I have it memorized. So it was really funny. Um, but yeah, these guys looked up to, each other all along. And then Alan Webb, I mean, Alan Webb, you know, Alan and Jim have a connection in the sense of the high school prodigies that both broke four in the mile. You know, Webb broke Ryan's high school mile record, legendary race at Prefontaine. Webb actually got a, uh, after he did that, Jim Ryan signed a Bible for Webb. Jim's a very religious man. And Webb talked about how that's inspired Webb. Webb has himself really become a man of faith in, in recent years. And when Webb was on the verge of tears talking about the impact that, that, that Ryan has had on him. So hopefully we can get some permission to, to, to share these speeches with you because they, they were quite good. It was just a really cool event. I think it represents what's great about the running world in general, just that Centro flew across the country for this. Alan Webb flew across the country for this. It was a big deal in Jim Ryan's life. It's the biggest reward a civilian can get in the United States. And these milers wanted to be there. Alan Webb was staying in, at Jim Ryan's in-laws overnight. Like it's just this kind of fraternity that they're all in and a part of. And I thought the speeches were amazing, Centro uh, and Webb, and just what an evening. And meanwhile, now John's upset that we're not grilling Centro about his workout. John, would you, when you're at one of these VIP events, I mean, hopefully we'll, may, we'll maybe let you like park the car a couple times or something. You just got to go with the flow. You know, I'm talking to Centro about taking the gold medal through the airport and running into Steph Curry on a plane, that sort of thing. Well, well then, you don't just go up to the guy and say, what'd you run this morning? You, you throw it, you ease into it. You bring it up. This is part of the skill of schmoozing as you say, you know, you talk, you make small talk like that. You talk about bringing the medal along and then you say, hey man, we haven't seen you on the scene. What have you been up to? You've been running, you're doing well. You, you don't just jam it down his throat, you, but you, you bring it up casually. Also, and one other thing I would say, well, John, I basically did that. I was smoozing with the guys, trying to go with the flow. I mean, I actually t- had a long talk. Webb and I, Webb is really into running. I talked to a long time about Webb and his new coaching. He's really all in on that. His 2007 season. I mean, he, he said basically in 2007, he's like, that's the only year I felt like it was a video game. I was on turbo and I can do whatever I wanted. And then he talked about when he ran his 800 meter PR, 143.84 in, in Houston. He said he felt a slight twinge in his hamstring in the first, at the beginning of the race and he kept going. He said he was never the same after that. So what could have been? But John, I was doing exactly what you said with Centro, but I wasn't trying to get to running. I was trying to get the poker scoop. You know, Shelby Holyhand said he was the best poker player. And I said, yeah, but we missed the obvious question, Matt. I saw you online. He was at the live at the bike at the beginning of COVID, losing over $20,000 in a poker game. And he, I got the whole story there. He confessed to that, admitted that his friend, who's like a poker pro, invited to him invited him to that, and he backed Centro. So he put up Centro's buy-in. 
So a lot of those losses were covered by a poker pro. And by letting Central play in this game, this poker play pro was allowed a seat in the game too. So like they weren't going to let this guy play, but they're like, oh, if you bring Centro in, maybe we can take his money. We'll let you play as well. So, Well, they're really just taking the pro's money. I was going to say, though, though, yeah, that's a classic move, though. I guess Centro, I don't know if he's got enough money to be considered a whale, but he's like, yeah, bring this guy in. He'll be easy, easy fodder for all the pros to grab, you know, take down. Weldon's a really good poker player, former professional poker player. I was trying to get Centro in my own game, and, and I was about to get to that stage. You know, revenue's down a little bit with COVID for us, so see if I could take some of his money. But then next thing I know, he was gone. I, I didn't have, you know, my next two or three questions were going to be about running, but never. So Let's Run's new business model is a subscription, a subscription for elite subscribers and to use, you know, fund ourselves off Matthew Centrowitz's gambling losses. Brilliant, Rojo. I got to jump in here. I was joking about John parking the car, obviously. John was invited to this. John is a key person of Let's Run.com. But with Ellen under investigation right now, I just got to get it out there to the woke crowd that we tr- treat people at Let's Run properly. I'm not shaming John here publicly on the podcast. My apologies, John. Oh, w- one last thing about this before we get to the news, other news of the week. But it was interesting. To, to, I mean, all these guys seem to be pretty much into the Let's Run.com goat contest to determine who was the greatest American dishwasher of all time. It kind of came out that um, – you know, Jim Ryan and Ned, his son, are in politics. So Ned admitted to sending out like the, the links to the voting to like his political friends. He said, "Many of my political friends knew my last name was Ryan, but they had no idea my dad's name. My dad was Jim Ryan." So he thought that you know that that, that, that may have helped them in the voting. And then Centro had a really funny joke. He's like, "Man, I, I played it wrong. I didn't realize people were doing this. If I had only just put a link to the contest on my Bumble or Tinder account, I would have had tens of thousands of votes." So. There you have it, folks. Sounds like Centro is, is single a little bit. Just a very cool event, and thank you to the Ned Ryan for inviting us. I'm not sure how we got the invite. But hey, one guy was impressed, John. One guy, like, we meet immediately. Like, Jim Ryan comes up and introduces himself, and then I swear within five minutes, some guy's like, uh, excuse me, can I get my picture taken with you? And he met me and Robert. It was like, what is wrong? What is wrong with these people? Clearly have some issues to work out if they're trying to get pictures with you guys. Reminded me when when a young Nick Willis, first time I met him, said, I can have a picture with you and your brother. I said, of course, Nick. This is when he was like a sub four high schooler. No problem. Do you need an autograph too? But yeah, seriously, ma- major props to Ned Ryan for organizing this. One other thing, they also had speeches from like Seb Coe and, and, um, and, and Steve Cram that he gotten, you know, sent via phone. They had video highlights when you picked up your food. It was barbecue. Uh, and all, all all the tables too had like uh, like cardboard cutouts of Jim's Sports Illustrated um, covers and stuff like that. And at the end of the night, they're like, "Hey, we don't need these. Bring them up to the table, and Jim will sign sign one, and you can take them home." So really cool evening. But John, there was some action we need to talk about. Where do you want to begin? Running stuff. I think the big story to me. I mean, a bunch of results, but the big story to me was Trayvon Bromel running nine ninety. Win legal nine ninety in the hundred and. This immediately, the, the 100 meters, guys, is very interesting right now. And I want to ask you, you know, with Christian Coleman's status up in the air, where do you set the, who's the favorite for the Olympics next year? And where do you set the odds for all these guys? Can I still put Coleman as the favorite? Like, I think it's a 50% chance that he's banned from the Olympics. But I think if he runs, there's probably like a 50% chance that he wins. 
So, or maybe even higher. Well, I think it's higher than 50% that he wins if he runs. 50, 50% times 70%, that would put him about 35%, you know, if you're doing your probabilities. And then I would say, you know, I would put Robel, you know, maybe 30% behind that. You know, I mean, I, I don't know. Like, higher than Lyles? I think Lyles has to be... If I, I think if Coleman doesn't run, I would have to say Lyles is the favorite. I mean, Bromel, Bromel his curve is obviously trending upwards. If he, you know, puts in another year of training and is healthy and gets to this point next year, I think as a hundred meter runner, his his ceiling's probably higher than Lyles, but Lyles I think can still improve in the hundred as well. And Lyles also has a better track record of just staying healthy. Like I, I trust Noah Lyles to make it to the Olympic hundred meter final more than Trayvon Bromel, just because we've seen basically a, f- a couple races from Bromel in the last four years. That's my thinking on that. But do we even know that Lyles is going to run the 100, John? Yeah, he, sa- he said he wants to do both at the Olympics. Remember, this kicked off the whole Lyles-Coleman feud last year when he beat him in Shanghai and then had that Instagram post saying, I'm coming for everything. Well, guys, I have found official 2020 Tokyo betting odds. Hope that means 2021. From oddschecker.com. And Noah Lyles is your official 100 meter favorite. He's at 8 to 13. Then Christian Coleman, 8 to 11. So that means they're both better than 50%. Shows these aren't good bets to take. Andre Grass, then 17 to 10. And Justin Gatlin at 4 to 1. So I don't even see Trayvon Brumel, who could be in my book. I think if everyone who we have now, if Coleman makes it to the Olympics, he's the favorite. But assuming if he's out, if Trayvon Brubel makes the Olympics, that to me means he's healthy, and then I put him at the fav- as the favorite. He's a better 100-meter runner than Noah Lyles. Gatlin's too old. What, am I supposed to go with Michael Norman? I mean, <laughs> that's a joke, kind of, but I wouldn't have thought that before. Well, then, I don't know if we should be joking about that. I mean, I think Norman's ceiling in the 400, he breaks the world record, and he can go on to be, you know, a legend. But he's run 986 in the 100. That's the same as Noah Lyles. I mean, all these other guys, Gatlin, I don't think Gatlin's going to be able to run 986 next year. You you look at this stuff, and I'm like, well, the 100 is the glamour event. That's like, you know, the 100, 200, and then obviously Norman could do both the double there. I I don't think he would do it, but I think it would be fun as hell if he's like, screw it, I'm going for the 100. I'm just going to kick all these guys' asses. You know, we've been very critical of World Athletics for not allowing doubles. Maybe we haven't been looking at the right doubles. Who knows? Is the 100-400 double possible? <laughs> Maybe they've been setting this up all along. But I clicked on Expand, and I've, they actually do have odds for Trayvon Brumel. He's 27-5, to 5, which is... Higher odds than Zernell Hughes. Now, a lot of these betting websites are in the UK, so maybe that's why, but whew, that's a pretty good bet. I mean, the problem is I'm sure the cumulative odds in these betting isn't very good, but... No. Well, then the one other guy we haven't mentioned, you know, who might be thinking, look at this, thinking, heck, if Coleman's there, I might be able to win this. Usain St. Leo Bolt. Is there any chance he comes out and is like, you know what, I'm, I'm doing just the 100. I'm going to go for four in a row. All-time legend, Ty Al Order and Carl Lewis for winning the same event, four straight Olympics. Wow. Could the Tokyo 20, could COVID have one really good positive and gave an extra year for Usain Bolt to come out of retirement? 
I just don't think it's happening. No, I, I don't either. He, I mean, he'd only be 34, which is five years younger than Gatlin, but I just... Nothing Bolt's done really indicates he has any interest in retiring the sprinting. He said at the Coach Glenn... He recently said at Coach Glenn Mills calls him back. He's coming back. I'm on record saying that he would come back from his retirement, so I would not be surprised. I think we need to write an article, guys, about these doubles because we have so many supreme athletes that can do so many different events. I mean, one name we haven't even mentioned is Stephen Gardner. This guy is insane at the 400. We're acting like Michael Norman's unbeatable. Stephen Gardner won the gold, right? Am I wrong about that in the 400 last year? What? He's cap- we're he's talking cable- about the 100, Robert. Of course we're not going to talk about Stephen Gardner. You want to talk about Brazier as well? Like No, but I'm saying he's capable of winning, beating Wiles in the 200 and winning gold there. So you could have a, a number. There, there, there's so many people that could be double Olympic champions. No Wiles could win the one and the two. Uh, Norman could win the two and the four. Gardner could win the two and the four. You've got to give these athletes the ability to double. As I've talked about in other podcasts, like you build the brand, the fans get attached to these athletes. They want to see them run more than once or twice. I, I, John, when you, you uh, this is your task for the next week, or maybe I'll help you. We've got to see which doubles are easily doable, which aren't. I mean, some of these doubles, like the two and the four, you run like the first two rounds of the 400, then you do all the 200, including the final before the 400 final. Like this stuff just doesn't make any sense. Like, and, we all know why they're doing it. It's because they're highlighting the mixed gender 4x4 at the beginning. That They're putting that before anything else in the first weekend, which I think is going to screw everything up because they want to act like men and women are the same and isn't this going to be great? It's going to, they think this is going to be this marketing thing. And it might be good, but I was thinking about this some more like, okay, if the men actually run the, against the women in any of these legs, now most of these teams haven't been doing that. They, they run the, the men first, right? But kind of put the men on one leg and the women on the other leg. But if the men do run against the women, what is it going to do? It's not going to help the quality of women's sports. It's going to make people realize, my God, the women are a lot slower than the men. No, I don't even know if it's the gender equality thing. I think it's just, hey, this is kind of a cool idea and it sounds cool on paper and then I've seen it the world realize it's not really that great. I think the other issue, Robert, you know, the world that what athletics... You know, I don't think they've done a great job with scheduling these championships, but I also think one of their things is they want to have a certain number of gold medal races every day, every session, and apportioning those out to appease TV so you've always got some final in one of the sections or something like that. It's not super easy, but I do think it can be done and probably better. You know, we'll have to give our own crack at it and see what these doubles are, but I, I agree it could be done better. That's a good point. I didn't think about it. You want to have a reason for the fans to go every day. Exactly. We've we've been talking a lot about men's sprinting, John. But what about women's sprinting? And this still doesn't make any sense to me. On this very podcast, what, last week or the week before, when Allison Felix beat Shawnee Miller-Weibo in this virtual race at different sites, we determined that probably Miller-Weibo wasn't in good shape. And then what does she do this week? She runs a sub-11-100 for... The first time in her career. So I don't understand this. How did Allison Felix beat her if she's in the best shape of her life? I already sense. talked about this, Robert. Do you listen to our podcast? There were very, first of all, Shawnee Miller was running into a humongous wind when she was running that race. And Felix apparently was running into an even bigger wind. And this is why I called the wind reading into question because it makes no sense to me that Felix should be beating Miller Weebo in a 150. And this one, we have normal wind. Shawnee Miller-Weebo runs 10.98. She's clearly in pretty good shape, at least for the 100. And you would think she should be in the 100. That's why I still don't think the meet, the results from that Inspiration Games meet make any sense to me. Well, regardless, now 
Miller-Lebo is just the fourth women in history to run sub-11 for 100, sub-22 for 200, and sub-49 for 400 meters. And IAAF, World, World Athletic Statman's John Mulkeen, he, he put out a tweet where he added up every the best 100, 200, 400 you know, sprinters in history and and scored their 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 marks in the 102 and four according to the scored scoring tables and she's fourth in that the three people ahead of her are Maria Koch the German doped up 400 meter world record holder Florence Griffin Joyner the 100 meter world record holder who I think many think was also on drugs and then Marion Jones who definitely was on drugs so there you have it um she she really is right now we're seeing some of the most versatile sprinters on the men's side and women's side in history really amazing to see, you know, these people range, you know, you used to see just the one and the two, just the two and the four. And now you're seeing people, the best can do the one through the four. Well, and guess what? Shawnee Miller-Webo is not going to be able to double in the Olympics either because they've already, the, she's a pl- asked the World, World Athletics to change the schedule to allow the 200-400 double. They've said no, and she's going to have to pick or choose, uh, which sucks. But maybe she and Steven Gardner could do the mixed gender relay. They at least oh, great. Two- yeah, everyone will love that. no. Screw that, man. Doesn't excite me. And Robert just threw the word drugs out there. Robert, isn't like everyone suspicious of drugs? I mean, we like to all pretend that we know who's on and who's not. But if you're at the top of the sport, sadly, everyone's under suspicion. And I think that leads us to Elijah Manangoy, the 2015 world champion, 2017 world champion. Well, excuse me. 2017 world champion. 2015 silver medalist. One of the best milers in the world. He had his third whereabout failure. Failure was announced this week. I guess these all came last year. He was hurt, but all of a sudden we're busting a lot of stars for missing drug tests, and we need good dr- drug testing. So maybe long term this is good for the sport, but short term it's very depressing. Because guys, if you're not doping, show up for these effing tests. Like. Your career's going to be gone. It makes sport look like crap. And hell, like, one thing we've learned, you got to be doping pretty badly to get caught positive. So if you were doping, you think that it would be, you know, like, cost-beneficial to show up and take the test and see if you pass it rather than skip your third test where you're guaranteed to get banned. <sighs> I'm just sick of this because I want a clean sport. And maybe this is a step for a clean sport. But, John, you've had a lot of contact with this group. What are your thoughts? I mean, in general, I found his coach, Bernard Uma, to be a pretty straight shooter. They've repeatedly denied that they, you know, dope or do anything like this. And so, I mean, but what am I to say? Obviously, there are people out there who have denied doping and and they do it. So, I don't know. My sense is that they do things the right way. And this is a whereabouts suspension. It's not for for drugs, but... The only person who can ever really know is Elijah Manningoy himself. I think the other issue here, guys, whereabouts failures, this is becoming the story of the year. This is now the eighth athlete, nine if you count Gabby Thomas, whose suspension was rescinded, to be suspended for whereabouts failures in 2020, to have their suspension announced in 2020. And four of them are from Kenya, and they're all fairly big names. I mean, Elijah Manningoy, former world champion, Wilson Kipsang, former world record holder, Alfred Kipkida, who's an Olympic finalist, and Alex Corio Tip, who's run under 59 minutes in the half marathon. All four of those guys have now been suspended for whereabouts failures. And again, it makes no sense as well to say, like, I mean, I know that the whereabouts drug suspension is only two years if you're actually on drugs versus four if you test positive, but 
Is this just a matter of people not following the rules? Or why wouldn't you just risk it and get banned? At least you can deny, I guess, if you're a queen. You can say, oh, it was a mis- miscarriage of justice. I don't know. This is getting so old. I almost feel like we need to go back and issue a correction to last week's podcast, John. Sometimes I point out when you make a rare mistake, but I was re-listening to last week's podcast, um, maybe the day that this Manangoy thing came out. And on the podcast last week, you said, during COVID-19, it just seems like you'll be sitting there and then this... The only thing that happens is some random sprint action will come out, and it'll be amazing. You'll see these amazing times. And to me, as a distance fan, the thing that seems to be the biggest story during COVID-19 is I'll be sitting on my computer, and some really prominent Kenyan is getting popped for doping. Like, it's getting really frustrating. Well, I think but the other I thing— guess, I, But I guess if you're a Kenyan, you're saying the same thing about Americans. You're like, oh, the NCAA record holder of 200-meter indoors. Gabby Thomas, she's busted. Christian Coleman, he's busted. So it's just—I mean— Absurd. And that, that was one thing about the Jim Ryan event was interesting was, you know, talking about with some of these people, you know, when they thought drugs got into the sport, how far back, you know, and I was like, hey, I, I did ask someone, do you think there's any chance that, that someone that beating Jim Ryan in the Olympics was on drugs? And they said, no, we think it started a little bit later than that. So <laughs> that was a good thing. <laughs> Jim Ryan wasn't beaten by a drug cheat. And he was just beaten by altitude. My working theory on some of these whereabouts things, particularly in Kenya, which has had the most cases of anyone this year, four cases so far, and we're barely, you know, we're only seven months through the year, is Kenyans, I don't think we're really getting tested a ton. They've ramped up testing in Kenya more recently from what it seems like, and these guys might just not be used to filing their whereabouts as much. They might not be used to being tested as often, so it's possible that in the past they weren't keeping the best forms, they weren't always there for their window, but they weren't punished because they weren't tested enough, and as they're tested more, they're getting more failures. That's my working theory, but I don't have you know a ton of evidence to support it at this point. Great point, John. I was actually about to go there, because you said they were all four household names, and the fourth guy, like, what was his name? I was like, who is this? Alex Corio. He's not a household name, but he's an accomplished runner. He was a world championship finalist last year in the 10K. True enough, but... Uh- I'm like, wait, that means he was at least drug tested three times out of competition in Kenya? So I'm like, the old, I don't know, paradigm that Kenyans aren't drug tested clearly isn't true. So I think big picture, this is a good thing. It's going to lead to a cleaner sport. People in the U.S. clearly are missing tests too. So maybe they're just getting more stringent about this. I I, I don't know. Short term, bad. Long term, good. There's a point here, though, Weldon. Corio, so his case is very interesting because his whereabouts failures, all of them were well before the World Championships. He was allowed to compete, and then his third fitness test was confirmed the day after the World Championship final in the 10,000. Meanwhile, Kenya had two guys make their 5K team who were not allowed to compete at Worlds because they had not been tested enough out of competition. So, very interesting situation here, and I think, I don't know, I'm kind of... This third test being confirmed the day after he ran Worlds, that's a huge red flag to me. Something is going, something seriously wrong there. No, John, what happened was, this is like me, no one's heard of this choreo guy. So they were checking beforehand, like, okay, we're cracking down on Kenyans. We need to make sure they're all drug tested. Okay, has everyone been drug tested three times or one time or whatever the rule is? And the two guys hadn't, so they didn't get to run. And then the Worlds happened and like somebody's looking at the results and they're like, Oh no, 
this guy we've never heard of, he's actually on the Kenyan team. Like, we got to take him out. I honestly wonder if something like that happened. I, an agent floated that idea to me that that is like they realize they look at the results and they're like, shit, this was a mistake. And then they try to cover it up. I don't know. I don't know what happened, but that is just that's a theory. What's the law? The never attribute to malice that which can be equally attributed to stupidity. Yes. What's that called? Uh oh someone's lore isn't it Hanlon's razor guy Hanlon's Hanlon's razor alright enough depressing news let's turn to something more positive and the shoe controversy John and this is positive because I know everyone's talk, tired of talking about shoes but I guess yesterday or when was it you seem to have the details World Athletics has sort of tightened their shoe rules or something so we're not going to have to be dealing with an obliteration of records and wondering if it's the shoes or not John tell us what has happened yeah, they've tried to clarify this situation, which I commend them for doing because, as I mentioned, you know, the the current shoe rules were just open to manipulation with this prototype thing. We saw Mo Ahmed set this Canadian record in shoes that Nike never announced that no one knows anything about, but suddenly his agent is claiming that there's no problem there, that, you know, it's, it's legal to do it, the performance will count. And so I think people kind of realize this rule that if a shoe a shoe has to be on the market or available to people for four years in order for athletes to run it that this could be sort of gotten around so now what they've done is they've instituted this thing called the athlete shoe availability scheme which essentially would mean that you know for an athlete to compete in shoes in an international competition or at worlds or something like that they need to make these shoes available to World Athletics and then a certain number of pairs from their shoe company. And then World Athletics can make these shoes available to unsponsored athletes to use them if they want. And the details are a little hazy still. I did read through it. It's still a little hard to understand. But I think the, they seem to be moving into a direction where shoe, provide, shoe manufacturers are providing shoes to World Athletics that no one's going to show up in a pair of shoes that no one's ever heard of and start setting records. And they've eliminated this thing about four months, you know, so and make, you know, making them available to the public. They're now saying you've got to provide it to us, uh, to World Athletics. So they do seem to be moving in the right direction. I think the proof's going to be in the pudding over the next few years if they can actually enforce this. But they seem to be moving in a direction of transparency, which I support. And the one other thing is they've imposed some limits on the maximum thickness of the sole. Uh, and they've done it for track events. So for sprint events, it's 20 millimeters. I'm not sure how the Viperfly, which is this new super spike from Nike, stacks up there, but I'm, I'm guessing it's probably going to be under. And then also track events, 25 millimeters, which means, and this includes the 10,000 meters. So if you're running the tank here on the track, I don't think you're going to be able to do it in Vaporflies anymore. Or certainly not alpha flies, because I don't think the alpha flies come in under 25 millimeters. So the big takeaway is they just have to have the shoes available to give to other athletes. And maybe athletes are going to be able to train in these shoes. And there's a few specifications on what shoes and what are legal and what aren't legal. Is that the... That's the main gist I got from it. Again, exactly the exact technical details of this athletic shoe availability scheme still seems a little unclear to me. But it does seem like the aim is, because here's the other thing: like Nike coming out with some vaporfly, some new distance spike, 
if you're an Adidas contracted athlete, you're not going to be able to compete in that spike anyway, because you, unless you're willing to break your contract to do it at the Olympics, and I, I don't think athletes are going to do this. Really, it's for the unsponsored athletes. I don't know how many how many of them there are, you know, at the Olympic final level, getting access to this technology if they need it. But I think they can. They also use that as a way for just making sure that they get to see the shoes before these competitions, the World Athletics, rather than being caught by surprise by something. Right. And John, you say unsponsored, but you know, on running this year, let people wear the Vaporflies. I think if one shoe was vastly, vastly superior, athletes would be like, "Look, I have to wear this," and then their shoe sponsors might let them or might not. But hopefully, going forward, that's not the case. And we're back to worrying about who's the best athlete, not what shoe they have on their feet. But hey, from our podcast last week, or I guess two weeks ago, Shelby Houlihan crushing American records, wearing an old Nike shoe, saying one of the reasons was because she likes the shoe, but also she wants no doubt about her records. So get in shape, then worry about the shoes. Speaking of Shelby Houlihan, guys, I was thinking, John was asking you know earlier, mad that we didn't ask Central had some questions about his running and dating life, etc. But I was wondering, who do you think's had a better career, Matthew Centrowitz or Shelby Houlihan? Is that blasphemy? Did I ask that? Yeah, because it's Centrowitz, obviously. Shelby Houlihan has never medaled at any international competition. Matthew Centrowitz has an Olympic gold medal, a world championship silver behind a guy who got popped for doping, a world championship bronze, and a world indoor title. This isn't a debate. Well, Matthew Centrowitz has never set an American record. Shelby Houlihan has set a, a slew of them. She's probably won way more U.S. titles than he has. It's a good argument, probably. I mean, you're you're comparing domestic success against global success. I don't I don't care if some team won the Scottish Premier League ten times. If they've never won the Champions League, and some other team, Real Madrid's won the Champions League like thirteen times. Real Madrid's clearly better. I used to not care about times, but now I do care about times. To me, they're both. Equally important, almost equally important. Like we, we decide if okay, if you win this race, you're way better than somebody else. But if you don't run historically fast, yeah. So you're now arguing Mo Farah is the goat, and Bekele and Gebru Selassie need to shove off. No, I'm saying Mo Farah is not the goat because he didn't run fast. I'm just saying. Oh, sorry, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, you said they were equally important. Well, okay, yeah. yeah. I'm not saying equal. I, I just it was something that hit me when I was involved with him. But anyways, the real reason also that, that made me think of is. Last week we did have some miling at mile, some fast fifteen hundred miles run in the U.S. Um, Corey McGee, Danny Jones, and Emma Coburn ran a mile in Indiana, and they all ran under four twenty four. It's the first time in U.S. history that three Americans have run sub four twenty four in the first. That's a very mile. contrived stat yes. right there, Robert. I'm not sure, and, but um, also the Milrose Games. Surprise of the Milrose Games indoors, uh, Ellie Perrier ran a 401-meter time trial, 401, 1500-meter time trial. So it got me thinking, the depth of the U.S. 1500 meters is absurd. If, if you count a 421 mile as a 401 or faster, the U.S., by my count, has eight women that have run 401 either last year or this year, John. This is incredible. Shelby Houlihan, Jenny Simpson... Nikki Hiltz, Shan Osika, Perrier, McGee, Schweizer. So actually, that might be seven. Kate Grace has not done it. I had heard six. So seven people have run 401. And I was going to say, the bad news is only three of them can make the Olympic team. 
But since the IAAF World Athletics doesn't have the 1,500 or 5,000 double, the reality is probably five or six of them will make the, the team, which drives me nuts. We're going to have this thing at Eugene, if we do have an Olympic trials, where, the, again, the fifth and sixth place finishers are either going to be celebrating or begging Shelby and Carissa Schweizer to run the 5,000, not the 1,500 at the Olympics. Well, Robert, it's also interesting. You mentioned seven women, not among them. Danny Jones, not among them. Sinclair Johnson, who, you know, Danny Jones, multi-time NCAA champion, and Sinclair Johnson was the NCAA champ last year at 1,500, and came, you know, just fractions of a second shy of making the world's team. So, like you said, really incredible depth right now. First of all, why was this mile in Indiana? I think that's a good question, Weldon, because, I mean, obviously, they're based at Colorado, so running at sea level, they can run a little faster. you got to drive a bit. And Indiana, I think Danny Jones is from Indiana originally. But I thought about this with Centrowitz and Webb and you guys going to visit this Ryan ceremony, but also these people flying, you know, I assume flying across the country during a pandemic. Is this the most responsible thing to be doing? I guess, I don't know. I I think you could, should Webb and Centro be flying across the country to go to this thing? Should these athletes be flying across the country to go to these races? I know they're not the only ones to do it, so I don't want to call them out for it, but I kind of, I'm kind of curious. Well, I wasn't trying to call them out. Just curious why they picked Indiana. And my my take on flying and stuff is if COVID was super contagious via flying, we would already know about it. But that's just pure speculation. But it's not illegal to fly. There's very there's very few restrictions on flying, and I don't think there was quarantines in any of these places. So I'm personally fine with it. But we're trying to avoid COVID talk this week, right? I'm all for sports coming back, including my beloved baseball. And I've been criticized on the message boards for stating that the reality is if you're under the age of 35, you have a four to five times chance, higher odds of being murdered than you do of dying of COVID-19, even if the numbers double for the rest of the year. So, John, that's my only COVID talk for the year. Um, yes, don't needlessly travel. But if I had, if, if I was a major league baseball player and I had maybe three years in the league where I could make hundreds of thousands of dollars and the rest of my, my life, I'd be making $40,000 a year. This is certainly a risk that I'd be willing to take. Now, if I'm a 70-year-old coach like Dusty Baker, probably not. But, you know, th- there's one thing that people forget about is the economic impact it's particularly having on these players who don't get to play. So that's obviously not the case for runners running miles, but hey. Well, I do think one thing that Joe Bossab wants to do is have his athletes race this year, and I, c- I can respect that for sure. They want to provide value to their sponsors. They want to show them they're still out there repping the brand, that sort of thing, and finding somewhere at sea level or close to it is going to be tough when you're based in Colorado. So I think well, I, just I meant, right, Indiana seems like a random place, but they used to have the Indiana Milers series races that when I was coaching that we go to. So maybe it's, it's from that. Shout out to Trip Hurt. This guy won the, the men's mile in Indiana and 356. I think he won the U.S. road title last year as well. I was looking up his stats. This guy went to Furman. He only ran 347 in college. Now he's a 356 miler. Now he did run 345 a few weeks after graduation, but that's not even that fast. Like you wouldn't even think most of those guys would even continue to run professionally. He was mainly a steeplechaser. I think he made NCAAs a couple times in the steeplechase. He was like an 841 steeplechase. But, you know, I had guys like that at Cornell. Like most of them don't A, continue to run, and B, end up running, you know, 356 in the miles. So. Yeah, no, no doubt. Some Im- impressive stick to itiveness and uh, getting some rewards. Unfortunately, has to do it in a year and 
competition is limited, but nice progression. Robert, wait, you brought up this Hulahan versus Centrowitz thing, though, Robert. We never really got a definitive answer from you. Do you do you think Hulahan has had a better career than Centrowitz? No, but I just thought, I mean, I, I, like, who's the better runner for their sex? I think she's a better runner than he is. Well, right now. No, just in general. Like, what do you mean? So you are saying that Houlihan has had a better career. You're no, saying who's a better? Well, I just mean like she's historically fast. She, she, I mean, take out the Russian dopers. She's in the top ten all time in the fifteen hundred steeplechase and five thousand in world history. I mean, she, she, she's a, a, a historically great runner in terms of her performances. But against her peers, she hasn't she hasn't won anything. Well, some of this stuff is arbitrary, as we've seen. It's whether the doubles are doable. I mean, Vanesti Niangabo, didn't he win the Olympic 5,000 title in 1996? Do you think he would have won that title? Paolo Gabbosasli had even bothered to do the double? Centro's not... That's ridiculous. Centro's not, like, benefiting or being hurt because of these doubles. Like, every, all the best 1,500 guys line up in the 1,500. That's how it always works. Oh, that's true. No, he won a great race. And he's done it on the world stage many times. And he's run 13 flat. Centrowitz is better. But I'm saying, how much do we have to hold it against Shelby Houlihan that she's never won a medal if she keeps running historically great times? Is it my fault if, if, if every time she shows up in the 5,000 that it's Stefan Hassan and Gaudet are both there and she can't medal because somebody else beats her? You know, I mean, some of this needs to be put in context. Robert, you're overestimating what she's done. Anything she's done in the 5K for this point has been like bettering very weak American records. Now she's got a good time in the 5K, but everything she's done up to this point was really run good 1500s. She's very good at 1500, but so is Centro. And he's got all the world championship medals. I mean, it's just no contest. Speaking of competition, though, guys, I think we started out with the bad news. Fargo canceled. I mean, that was a big blow. But have you guys heard the news about London? I mean, I don't think there's been any official news, but World Athletics has said they're going to allow athletes beginning September 1st to achieve the Olympic standard in the marathon and race walk. And in that press release, they're basically like, we're kind of hoping athletes have a chance to do it in London, whether it's an elite race or, or not. And so to me, this is the biggest sign yet that we could have some elite racing in London on October 4th for the marathon. Yeah, Mon- London put out a-, a statement on Monday essentially saying, we're hoping to have an elite race October 4th. Is that what that statement said, Weldon? What? Is that what that statement actually said, Weldon? Okay, John, fair enough. Fake news, fake news. I was stretching the truth a little bit. Not stretching the truth, but sort of combining two things. London officially did not say that, but there's a Telegraph article saying London Marathon organizers hopeful staging elite race for Olympic qualification in October. Previously, London had said they would announce, I think yesterday or two days ago, that they would make their decision by then. And instead, they kind of released this amorphous statement saying, you know, we're hoping to run together. We're going to have a statement no later than Friday, August 7th, and there's some talk of mass participation. But it seems like the British press, and with this IWAF announcement, the indications are maybe that they're really just gunning for an elite race. So I'm very hopeful, very optimistic. The longer you can go with these things without canceling, the better, in terms of there's hope. So is it time to fly 
Bekele to uh, Netherlands. Make sure he's in shape for this. You know that Joss Herman gets him fit. We we need Bekele versus Kipchoge if we're going to have London. No, we need a fit Bekele versus a fit Kipchoge. I don't need. I don't want to see fat Bekele versus in shape Kipchoge. Connecticut has a lot of travel restrictions from like forty states or thirty four states now, but. Maybe my local cross-country race can fly in Bekele for like one final swan song. I mean, Ethiopia might not be on the no-travel ban. We'll fly him in for my local race if he can't do London. All right, guys. Well, y'all were talking about London. I was doing a little research, John. I don't want the faithful visitors, faithful podcast listeners who listen, they want to hear my hot takes. I don't want them to think that I think that Hulahan's career is better than Centerwood's. But doing a little research, I mean, 330 is fast. 330 is equivalent of a 347.3 mile. So he's run fast there. He's run a 13 flat. I would say that her times of 354.98 and 14.23 are slightly better at both, but they're not that much better than his times. And he's got the global medals. She does not. So their times are both, they actually both run fast. Now, her times are historically better for the women's, but a lot of that's just because there's not as depth, much depth in the women's 5,000 over the years. We're still just not at the same stage in women's running as men's running. So, yes, Centrowitz right now is the better runner of the two. OMG, guys. I'm getting excited about it, London. I just saw the show notes here. I almost had a heart attack. I knew to be excited about Monaco because I thought they were going to have a real track and field meet. But now, wait, what? Donovan Brazier is running at 800 in Monaco on August 14th? Oh, my God. I'm like a, a little boy in a candy store. I was going to pump up Monaco to begin with, but I didn't know this. We have, oh my gosh, you guys are typing in the names. Donovan Brazier, Grant Holloway. Uh, we're having like a 5K world record, right? Karsten Warholm, Cheptegei. Oh my gosh. Inger Britsons, Hassan, Noah Lyles. Like the, the name's just, it's, it's like a ticker I'm seeing here. This, oh my God, this is going to be like the one day. This is going to be the 2020 Olympics our version of it for this year. This is great if this can pull off. Please, Donovan, uh, no travel restrictions. Get over there somehow. Charter plane somebody. I mean, that was my big question, like how the Americans are going to get over it, but the way I've read it, there are certain exemptions if you're highly skilled or, you know, Monaco isn't technically in the European Union, so maybe they travel through some other country. I don't know. I do think they'll be able to get over there to compete. And yeah, well then, this is, this is, uh, uh, oh my God, it's the meat of the year with all the star power and I hope the times still line up like like usual I mean Brazier Pete Julian said a few weeks ago that Brazier is in better he's been workouts have been better than they were last year and a lot of athletes have run fast times I mean Chip the guy says he's going for the world record Noah Lyles will see what he can do on a real track here the Ingebrigtsons they were running well at that in uh, the impossible games and Jakob's running in this one. We've got Concessions, Skip Rudo, Mondo Duplantis, Safan Hassan. Yeah, geez, it's a lot of talent. I'm going to be the downer here. I'm, I was so excited about Monaco a few weeks ago. And then Weldon, who's been to Monaco, reminded me of, of the weather. I guess I can be excited that Brazier's there. Over, under, John, anything less than the American record is a disappointment. That's what I'm going for. <laughs> no, I'm dead serious. Oh, my God. <laughs> Anything less than the American record is going to be a C, in my opinion. American record is a B, world record A. <laughs> That's how much faith I have in this guy. He's what I'm excited about, but I'm very depressed about this 5,000 because I think Chepta guy could do it, but it, it, the, the meet's normally at, at night, right? And it's like in the high – Monaco's weird because it's on the water. Like the weather gets hotter as the day goes on. Like the dew point is normally in the high 60s. 
temperature is like in the mid to high 70s. I, I, I think if, if the dew point's in the, in the 60s and the temperature's in the mid to high 70s, he's not getting the 5,000 world record. So that's why I'm depressed about it. Probably won't even watch it. You guys can recap it. Robert, you get so obsessed with this weather stuff. Have you seen the Doha Diamond League meet? Do you realize how fast some of those guys have run? They've run, like, I think your new Alamuru ran, like, 727 in Doha, and it's, like, 100 degrees when they hold that meet. I mean, look, is it going to be perfect? No. The big difference from running for, th- for seven minutes versus 12. Now, they, I guess they are fast, so it's not like me running a 16-minute 5K. But... Look, it's not perfect. I think the look if if Chapter Guy doesn't break the world record, it's not going to be because of the weather. It's because it's 13, 12, 12, has been approached for years, and it's a really hard record. I, I don't if it's seventies. I don't think that's enough to say, oh my god, this isn't a marathon, Robert. It's a five k. No, I just turned. I just turned over to John Kellogg and said, "Can they run the world record in Monaco at seventy five degree temperature?" And he said, "Not unless they're wearing the cheetah shoes." So. Well, we'll see. You you can turn it off, Robert. I'm going to have fun watching what is going to be the best trap meet of 2020. But John apparently doesn't want them because John doesn't think anyone should travel because they don't have to. I mean, I wa- look, I, I want to see it. Is it the smartest thing to be doing? What, do you think the Europeans want Americans, an American who trains in Florida, coming over for this? Pro- I mean, probably not, but... The reality is we don't know where this disease is going. I want people to wear masks and still be serious, but... At some level, if we don't get a vaccine, then you kind of want to get herd herd. You're going to eventually have to get herd immunity. So we may have already seen that in New York and Connecticut. Robert, I thought you said you weren't going to talk about COVID anymore. This well, episode. I can't help it. Anyways, enough talk for this, guys. Go ahead, save a ton of money, support Let'sRun.com, join, become a founding member of the Supporters Club. Let'sRun.com/slash/subscribe. Remember, if you email me. Between now and next Wednesday, and you subscribe with your name, put your username that you signed up with, I'll send you one of these sweet shirts that I'm making for the Pan Am supporters. What email address are they supposed to use, Robert? You got to tell them if you're going to. Robert at letsrun.com. Robert at letsrun.com. And founding members, we'll listen to you guys for the direction of the website, get you guys a little more involved, because you're the ones who are most invested in this. But we also have. The great Paul Chalimo up next. We don't know what he said yet because we're talking to him later today. <laughs> so, guaranteed to be entertaining, though. All right, everyone. We're joined by special guest, 2016 Olympic silver medalist, 2017 bronze medalist, sub-13 minute 5K runner, multi-time U.S. champion, Paul Chalimo. Paul, welcome. Yeah, thank you. Appreciate it. First of all, you know, how is COVID treating you? What have you been doing? I feel like the first we actually reached out to you in COVID probably a couple months ago, and it was kind of the start of this. And the last I've seen with you in terms of running was you had a bottle of uh, soap and you're spraying it in your bathtub, and you're like, "We've got this, man." You're making a personal treadmill in your shower. I thought it was very funny. It was very good for for COVID, but. How's the real running going? How are you doing during COVID? Yeah, um, uh, pretty much what I'm doing right now is just uh, get the strength. You know, like whatever I've been, uh, the weakness that I've had, you know, like all these years, I've been learning a lot of things. And uh, if the best way to do it is learn from it and uh, and try to improve, you know, because uh, if I kept doing the same things that I was doing, 
you know, there would there won't be any improvement. So I need to change everything. And uh, it's been back to back racing, you know. So uh, it's tough, you know. Like, uh, is it fine with the sound? Is it too loud, the baby? I think it's fine. It makes it it makes it real, you know. We were All recording right. this morning, and I was trying to mute out my baby, and I have a lot more understanding now about what you were talking about last year, saying it was very difficult for you to train. Yeah. How old is your kid? Yeah, she's uh she's about she's she's about to turn two months. Two, I mean, two years soon. So she's uh, 18 months right now. Training, especially the first year, we're not sleeping. It, it's got to be. Uh, yeah. Nike should have Nike should have bought you guys a, a a night nurse or something, man. <laughs> yeah, it's it's tough. It's no joke. Yeah, so that's why, like, I've been. Uh, it's been. Uh, it's been a lot of like back to back racing and a lot of uh, taking care of, like the baby too and everything. So it's uh, sometimes it's good to take a break and. Uh, I always think about long term. I don't think about short term. Like in running, is uh, my goal is to go all the way to the marathon. And uh, you know, I don't want to race like tomorrow is the last day. So I just have to keep going. And if I get a chance like this to get let my body bounce back and uh, have a long career, you know, like definitely that's my big goal. So, so at this time, I'm taking advantage of the situation right now. Like. Um, like gotta stay positive and uh, make sure like I'm 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 just uh, doing my best to to rest and recover and do and and uh, uh, recuperate and uh, like mainly like just do like like pretty much what I do right now is long runs like a lot of long runs and uh, a lot of build up runs a lot of ills a lot of strength work so it's uh, eventually you know it will pay off eventually and. Uh, it's just a matter of time, yeah. So I guess that means no races this this summer. Yeah, as of now, I'm not planning to do any races, and uh, I don't want to stress myself. You know, like I don't want to stress myself. Plan for a race, train for it, and then like two min, like two days or like a week later, oops, the race is cancelled. So I just don't want to put myself in such situation, and uh, uh, it's. You know, every time I go to a race, I go to a race and I expect to perform. So I just don't want to go to a race just to race. I just want to go to a race and win and, and do really good. So um, really, really, my goal is just to just to race when I'm ready to race, you know. So the guys in your group, American Distance Project, are you guys still training together or any of them going to race or is it sort of? Is that part normal or is it more of a base phase and you guys are kind of doing your own thing? Just how's the overall training going? Currently, it's um, like we most mostly like it's I think it's Shadrach, Shadrach, Guillermo Mecheso. Uh, I mean, those are the guys that were there that they have raced so far. You know, like no one really like at this time, no one really wants to, to do too much racing, you know. The goal is to just to recover and uh, just be strong and get ready for next year, which is the main goal. So at this point, at this point, uh, I know they're doing a race pretty pretty soon, but it's only a few people in the team. And uh, I know, like Stanley, actually Stanley is expecting like twins today, 
you know, like today, as we're talking probably right now, our, our wife is probably like expecting like sometime today. So definitely Stanley won't be racing anytime soon. And Leonard was just back, is back from the marathon and Aaron Lagarde and Leonard Correa, they're both from the marathon. So It sounds like your group is focused on 2021, which makes a lot of sense because, yeah. you know, anything anyone does this year really doesn't count or mean anything. But, and also, I think that'll give us more time to talk about your story and how you got to where we are today, because it's a pretty interesting story. I mean, you've come such a long way. But real quickly, on 2020, like, the Bowerman Track Club's probably the one group running fast this year, and they've got some 5K guys. You know, Lopez Long went sub-13 for the first time, and then Mohamed runs 12.47. What do you see when those guys do that? Does that give you confidence? Does it make you scared? Like, you know, what do you think about those performances? You know, uh, I never get scared. You know, like it's as long as as long as we start from the same starting line in a race and we finish at the same finishing line in a race, uh, really, really doesn't scare me. And, uh, you know, um, I've come a long way. To, to quit right now I've come a long way to quit and uh, whatever they're doing they can keep doing it but uh, but whatever I'm doing right now it's different from what they're doing and eventually at the end of the day we'll see who will come out successful so so it's it's the lion you know it's, it's it, usually they say it's the lion that it's smart that strikes the meat you know so uh, my goal is that they, it's, it's, it's towards the Olympics. And uh, even if I run the world record right now in the 5K, I know it's really important to run fast, but then it just like the Olympics, I feel like the Olympics is what everyone is putting in their minds right now. And uh, and uh, if you're going to show up and run really fast and try to frustrate me or frustrate anyone else, I really don't care. But I have a strong mind. I'm just ready, ready for whatever, whatever happens. And... Uh, and it's good. It's good because now I, now what I know is that I have paces in a race. When you go to a race, I know they can run fast now. They can pace me. I don't have to pace them anymore. <laughs> so that's what I can talk about. That's what's up, you know. So it's good. It's good for the sport, actually. Yeah, speaking of good for the sport, and you just mentioned the Lion, after USA Indoors, um, which you won this year, and I think the same weekend the Bowerman Track Club ran uh, – something at the Husky Invite, I can't remember what, and you tweeted out, dogs compete at Husky Invites, lions compete at championships. And that seemed like a pretty good, you know, call out at Lopez Lamong. I thought it was great. The sport needs rivalries. Um, like, what's your relationship with Lopez? Are you guys rivals? Is it friendlier off the track than that? Or just sort of, you know, what, what's your take on Lopez Lamong? You know, it gets to a point like when someone is really, when it gets to a point, someone is becoming dominant. You know, like it's 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 time someone else tries to break that dominance. And uh, I see like they trying to do something with Lopez Lamont to try break the dominance that I've had in the 5K. And uh, I like it. I like challenges. And I know Lopez Lamont is very competitive. You know, and. Um, I just show up. I mean, we're gonna show up and we're gonna race, and whoever wins is the champion that day. So uh, 
I'll just uh, I'll just take it day by day. And uh, I really know I have a longer career in running. I have a longer I have a longer I have a longer way to go in running. And uh, I feel like my big goal is in the marathon, and I'm gonna be really successful in the marathon. So um, really, I just have to take it day by day. Uh, month by month, year by year, and uh, eventually, eventually, big goal is to the big goal is to get to LA 2028 in the marathon. Like, think about me being in the LA 2028 marathon. It's gonna be big. So I, I just wanna keep going and keep going till when I get there. You know, yeah. So whatever is going, whatever is going on right now, and uh, whatever it's, I mean, I just, I just wanna have a long career. That's that's what my big goal is, and. I just don't want to be greedy, and that's why I don't support the drag, like the drag cheats and everything. Because I know, like, the better, the 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 more patient you are, the more you get. It. Because I know, like, if I cheat today, yeah, I'll make a lot of money. Heck yeah, I'll make a lot of money. But, but what happens if I get busted? I get busted. I stay out of running for four years, but I'll be making like small money, little money day by day, and within four years, it's gonna be the amount the same. The, it's gonna amount the same when I, when someone is cheating. So I mean, it just defeats the purpose to do it. So I that's the goal. Like that's the goal for me actually. And uh, it's so easy in track and field to be so greedy. It's so easy to be greedy, especially like when people are smoking you in races. It's so easy to be greedy and try take the shortcuts, but let them. If there's someone who wants to take the shortcut, let them do it. But I'm 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 happy with the with with what what uh, anti doping is doing and everything because people are getting busted. So which is which it shows it's working. So yeah, yeah. There've been several Kenyans this year um, have tested. Not te- there's a couple who've been banned, but th- several of them have been for whereabouts violations, which is not exactly the same as being. Uh, you know, pop for performance enhancing drugs. When you see those whereabouts failures, what what do you make of all that? Yeah, uh, really. Um, Kenya, it might be about. Uh, it's probably like it can be about technology, but then it's like you just have to be. You really just have to be like. I mean, it's something that you cannot risk. Like. To be honest, like when I was put in a whereabouts system, I didn't know how it works I, at first. Trust me, I missed like one drug test. Like I missed the first one. I missed the second one because I just didn't know like how it works, you know. But then since then, I was so strict because I knew if I just missed the last one, the third one, it's going to be it's gonna be a huge mess. And trust me, since then, I've never missed a drug test because I've known the protocols. I've been in the system for a long time and... It's so stupid for me right now at the end of the time at, for me to miss a whereabouts, you know, because it's um, it's something that I know I have to be I have to be available at this time and this time. And if I'm not available, if they come by, if they come to my place and they don't find me, it's not my it's not their fault. It's my fault at that point. So really, um, when it gets to a point, I have two strikes, you know, the third one. I'd rather just be running around my house every day if I have that time to run just around my house and just wait for them because it's because it's tough you know it's it's uh it's it's something that needs to be to be like taken seriously so it's your career it's you it's it's everything so if you're not serious about it then 
I mean, just retire or something or just quit. But uh, if it's your it's your career and it's if you have to take it seriously and uh, and your sponsors like sponsors and every and everyone that's what they that's what they believe in. You gotta show up every everywhere you go. That's why they pay you. So I feel like it's uh, sometimes it's apart from I mean I can't speak for. For anyone who miss like their whereabouts failures, I don't know what they're going through. I don't know people can be really forgetful, and I don't know what is going on. But for me, if you miss, if you miss it, like to me, if I did that, that would be stupid of me. If I miss, if I if I miss the test. When did you miss the two tests? I was back in. Uh, that was back in. That's when. That's just when I was put into the test after the Rio Olympic Games. You know, I didn't know where how that the old system works. You know, to be honest, like I didn't know how the system works and everything. So, so since then, since then, I've been strict about it, and and it's I've never missed any because I missed the I missed the first two, and that was it. Because like I it was just out of like I didn't know how the system worked. In terms of yeah, I guess doping in general in Kenya, not the most missed test it seems like a lot of people are getting popped and you're from kenya you know originally and you train there sometimes do you think it's a huge problem do you think it's just like a way out i mean you probably understand way more than most the poverty and kenya and that sort of stuff and a lot of people i'm sure view this as their one way a chance to make some money but how big do you think the doping problem is kenya when you're over there has anyone ever offered you anything just sort of what are your thoughts in general about the doping problem in Kenya? Uh, I think what people believe is that when you go to Kenya, you just get you just get to return and everyone is like, oh, I have EPO, take it, man. Can you buy it from me? You know, like, it's like you, the people think it's like a market. And this is like really top secret because think about it this way. Like, if you know you're doing something illegal and these people are going to like say something about you or you're going to get busted, you know, people are really like so secretive about it, and it's it's a secret. Like you, someone can tell you like it's their secret. Someone can tell you their secrets. You know, so um, it's just hard to like. I've never encountered that. I've never encountered someone talking to me about like drags and everything. But um, really, it's it's these people use these people who like who who dope because like. I mean, for example, Kenya is like it's, it's the situation is that there's people who just believe in like, man, my life is so hard right now. I can't even pay for my meals and everything. I can't even survive. Like I live my bill like under a dollar a day. You know, I survive under a dollar a day. And um, if if I give if I get this chance to like take drugs and run fast, you know, that's that's the big problem at that point. You know, because for me right now, my situation is that um U.S. has been there for me. They have supported me through thick, thick and thin. And I know United States rewards, they reward like hard work, you know. So at the end of the day, I expect them to, I expect uh, uh, like the sponsors and everyone to reward my hard work. Not, not, my, not just me being me running fast and they don't know what I do to run fast, but just reward the effort and the hard work, you know. So, and that's what I believe in and... Um, I believe in that and I know like I'm going to be successful and that's why I have to be patient. So, but Kenya is just like, um, 
it's one hit wonder you know like if someone make makes makes a living out of a situation you know like it's they gotta do what they gotta do to survive and sometimes it's it's just tough situation for them so so i i don't support it but then it's it's people gotta do what they gotta do to survive so that's what that's what that's another problem right there you've probably never heard it because no one would ever say this to your face but i've heard it people will uh, maybe text or something it makes me angry but they're like oh you know why those guys go to kenya to train and they're implying that you're up to something like what do you say to someone like that because i just get angry i'm like i've been to e10 i'm like there's thousands of people running and there's no way they're all on drugs but like what do you say to someone who's who like i don't know guilt by association or just i think people are jealous of your success but what would you say to someone like that to assure, assure them you're clean yeah what i know always people will always talk you know people will always talk when you're on top people will always talk when you go down people will always talk when you when you disappear no one will talk about you so but um what i know is that um what I know is that uh, I grew up in Kenya. I still have family in Kenya. I have my parents in Kenya. And I have a brother in Kenya. So I have friends that I grew up with in Kenya. So uh, really, I go to Kenya to to visit family. And I grew up in Kenya like it's, it's about like when it's cold, it's 50 degrees Fahrenheit. People are like, it's freezing today, 50, you know? And... <laughs> And Colorado Springs, you know, you have like six inches, like two inches of three inches of snow. And you're going to tell me like, you're going to tell me like it's it's going to be effective for me to train in the snow where I didn't grow up in. And just like be and be competitive with people who have grown up in, in like, like in cold conditions. Yeah, like it's it's like this, you know, like you cannot you cannot take a you cannot take a crocodile out of the water. You know, and expect it to to go fast outside on on the on the on the on the on the land. You know, the crocodile is always fast in the water because it's used to that environment. So, um, so it's the same way. You know, like it's it's just for me when I go to Kenya, I go to Kenya because of the weather. I go to Kenya because I want to visit the fam- visit family, and I go to Kenya to just um, like just to refresh my mind. You know, like when people when after the season when people go go to vacations trust me i'm always at home i don't go to vacations i'm always at home because i put that mindset that i'm gonna just go to kenya and uh, maybe go to kenya and visit parts of africa and just train you know so when i take that time and use that time as a vacation when you guys were having vacation i mean i don't feel like i don't feel like it's fair you know if Paul Chilimo wants to do like if I want to do what I want to do, as long as I'm doing it the right way, I don't really care. And um, and trust me, doping is <laughs> doping is an in thing. It's up here. If you want to dope, you're gonna dope. Trust me, you're gonna dope anywhere. You're gonna dope like even even you're gonna go to any country anywhere. You can you can you're gonna dope. You know. And trust. If I want to dope right now, it's so easy to go to another country like like West Africa and Senegal, like in the middle of nowhere. Uh, you know. That's easy, but now it would be so stupid of me to go to Kenya and dope because I'm going to get busted, definitely, because Kenya, it's like there's a huge crackdown in Kenya. And I, when I'm in Kenya, I get tested. So it's it's a no-brainer. It's just about jealousy and people got to talk and people got to be, people. these people are jealous of success and 
So anyways, it's um, to cut a long story short, it's it's just sad when people just keep talking. Let's kind of talk about kind of where you came from in Kenya to here. Did you grow up in Eton? Is that right? Yeah, Eton is my, that's where I grew up. That's amazing. Yeah. You ended up originally in the U.S. at Shorter University. Yes. Kind of how did that come about? Growing up as a kid in Eton, I mean, it's this little rural village. It's kind of the top running village in or one of them in Kenya, but for the, our listeners who don't know, but, you know, was the United States a dream? You know, when did you first realize it was a real possibility? Yeah, so uh, my brother, my brother, like my elder brother, used, he came to the U.S. through athletic scholarship, and I knew I was way more talented than him. Yeah, so I knew I was way more talented than him. And uh, so uh, my mom, I remember that was 2007, 2007. That was when I was in uh, I was in um, junior like sophomore year sophomore year in college I mean in high school in Kenya and my mom was talking to me was like you know you just gotta go to school and make sure you get good grades especially like I have to have a B B just B or better in my grades and uh, I'll be able to I'll be able to have a chance to come to the US and and get education and everything because I grew up in a really humble beginning because I remember like we used to we used to survive like a lot of times so education was really my big goal and my mom was like uh, so we you just gonna finish high school so when I finished high school I started training then because I got a B B grade and uh, my grade was B and 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 that was that was just like what I wanted and and just that that really opened the way for me because with good grades and I, I knew I was talented because trust me, I remember I used to run like I could run like 940 in, without training in altitude, 940, like like 3K. So um, that 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 alone, like I knew I was talented and um, I started training. And I remember this time when I started, I started training like November, November. And I ran like 15, 15 or 9, my first race, 5K race. The second race, I came back, I ran 14.55. That was in January. Around February, March, I ran 14.50. And and then um, and then um, I went back home. And around March, during March, around March, April, it's the, it's, it's the planting season. And I remember I was going to the farm. I was going to the farm the whole week. So because, like, I could wake up in the morning at 6 go to the farm all the way, like all the way to 3 p.m. or 4 p.m. So I couldn't run. And um, one day my mom was like, oh, so there's a guy, there's a time trial and there's a guy from the U.S. coming to see good athletes. So he's looking for good athletes. And my mom was like, so tomorrow I want you to leave. I want you to go and do the time trial and do your best and try see if you can make it. This was just one and a half weeks down the line doing farm work, nothing, no training. And, uh, and, uh, uh, it turns out that this guy that was sent by the U S coach is, uh, uh, Jay Bokum, as if you know, Janet, Janet Jeroboam Bokum. So Janet, uh, Jay Bokum was coming to see Janet in Kenya because they were just coming to visit in Kenya. So this coach sent him, he was like, go, go check, uh, go find me good athletes in the 5k. So that was Jay Stevenson, the coach in Shora. And I remember I went there and... It wasn't a good. It wasn't a good performance. I ended up dropping out because 
just two weeks of no training and just pure farm work. And um, I remember this guy just calling me aside and he was like, yeah, I, you look like a runner. You look like a runner and I can believe in your performance because he checked the time trials and because the times and the, before the times, the races that I had done, I had won all the races. The 1509 and the 1450 race, I had won all of them. So he knew I was talented and uh, within, that was May and August, I was in Shorter University and that uh, that's how it started. Then I transferred to University of North Carolina at Greensboro. So am I getting this right that you, you said you didn't start training seriously until after you graduated high school? Yeah, I started training 2009, November. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, so it's been, uh, it's been just about 10 years now of, of just competitive running. And uh, my first breakthrough, I think, was five years ago. Yeah. Yeah, so then you went to UNC um, Greensboro. And, you know, you got second at NCAs. You're pretty successful at NCAs, but you weren't champion or anything. And I guess that was, what, 2013? 13 and 14. 2012 and 13. And then 14 and 15, like, what happened to Paul Chuimo? Like, we didn't see you doing anything. You're barely racing. Like, like, and then 2016, you burst on the scene. Olympic silver medal. It was, like, unbelievable. So sort of talk us through i mean i was glossing over like a huge chunk of your running career but i'm, I'm kind of more interested in almost like yeah. you get to the u.s i think people can relate to that you transfer schools you're getting better you're improving you got a coach but then once you get out of school for anyone even the kids you know from the states it's a huge transition so what happens those first two years out of school and then what was different in 2016 yeah um i'll take you back i'll take you back to my history in running so i started running in 2009 and as, as I'm telling you, like my first race was around January, like December, January, that period. And I my first 5K was 15.09. The second 5K was uh, 14.55, 56. The, the third 5K before I left, the, before I left Kenya was 14.50. And I came back to, I came to the U.S. And um, my first race in the U.S., I remember it was an indoor race and I ran 14.30. And then, um, and then, and then and then I kept I kept doing 1430s, 1420s, 1430s. Uh, my freshman year I, I transferred to I mean my freshman year I really wanted to break 13 minutes. I remember I broke 13 minutes. I broke I mean 14 minutes. And I remember I broke 14 minutes in my first 5K outdoor race in uh, in um, Music City Distance Carnival in Tennessee. That was uh, Reed Coolset won, and I was second in 1353, and. And that was my first breakthrough. And then I realized, like, that was my first year in NAI school. And then when I realized, like, I'm becoming really, like, good in running. And before that, I had won the NIA like, 5K and the 10K. So I really knew, like, like I just needed a lot of competition. And that's, that's when I moved to a D1 school, UNC Greensboro. And when I get to UNC Greensboro, my first race was Peyton Jordan. No, it was... Uh, Stanford Invitational, and I remember I ran 13.38. And then Peyton Jordan, I ran 13, I, re I remember I ran 13.28 or 13.30. That was my first year. And then this, the following year, 2013, I mean 20, 2012, that was 2011. 2011, I ran that time, 2012, I came to Peyton Jordan, as you remember, the next year, when I ran 13.20. 
the race that Lopez Lomong miscounted the laps. That's the year that I ran 1320. Because I was like, whoa, what is what are these guys doing? And um, so after that, I became like really, really, really like really, really like greedy. And I really wanted to run more, even more faster. Because I was like, I'm sixth in a professional race in my sophomore year in college. I'm like, this gotta be like I got to be a really strong athlete. So what happened is I went to Kenya. And uh, during the old, that holiday, I kept training, like training and training. And I got into really insane shape. And you remember when I came to Louisville, 2012, the race that Lowry ran 22-32. And, and I, came, uh, I came third, 22-50. That time I had not trained for like a week straight. Because I still ran 2250 with not like a week and a half with just injury. So the IT band started flaring up because I think I put my body through a lot of training and a lot of pressure. And I was still young in the sport growing. So that's when I got to, I got, I got the injury. I got the injury and that was 2012. Since 2012, all the way till 2014, there was nothing that I did. But you could see like there was really, really a lot of great improvement till when I got to 13.20. So eventually I was going to run even faster than 13.20, but then I got a team and injury. And that's how like, that's how like I got, that's how my, I just went down since then. And uh, it took me six months to get back from the first bout of IT band. The second one was about two and a half months. So it took about like a year and a half just to figure out what this injury is because I never, I, since then I'd never got injured. So, and since then, that's my biggest injury in my career, like so far, like the IT band issues. So I've never, I knew how to deal with it. And I, that's why I never, I never got it, got into like, got injured like that again. So 2013, I was getting back. 2014, went back to military training, came back from military training. I was out of shape. Got back, train, train, train. The whole of 2015, I had one year of good block of training. And boom, I just dropped my times and I got really good. I got really better. And uh, so eventually, like, my career, whatever I've been doing and all the progress that I've had, I just know it's got to be, like, with a lot of patience. So that's why I'm taking this year, like, this year really important to me because it's a bounce back year again. I just want to take time and just get to listen to my body and recover and rest and let my body do its thing and bounce back again. And hopefully I can be able to run really, really more fast again. So it's crazy. I didn't realize you ran 1321, pretty much like your third year running, <laughs> but it, it makes more sense now. Yeah. So that was 209 and 2012. That was, that's when I ran 1320 within that period. And so yeah, when you got out of college, what are your options? You know, you're not a citizen to stay in the U.S. Was joining the army like the only thing you considered, or sort of how did how did the army thing come about? I know it's a great opportunity, but how did that come about formally? You know, like I realized, I realized life would be really tough because I was not an NCAA champion, and uh, it would be so tough depending on contracts. Because coming from Kenya, you gotta realize this. You got to realize this, whatever money you have at that point, it's what you, you're going to have for another four years or another five years. You know, like it's, or unless you make more, 
it's that it's just that what you're gonna have with. There is no like inheritance. There is nothing from the parents because in Kenya it's just a struggle. My parents sold land. They had to sell something to bring me to the U.S. to get the flights and get the money. And I remember I landed in the U.S. with 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 about four hundred and fifty dollars. And since then, I've never called my mom to ask for money because I know whatever she went through to to get that money was through like she had to sell property and she had to do her best. So um, then I didn't want to get in a situation that I have to call my mom again to ask for money because it's like I'll be draining her too much. And it's it's like I now it's like a situation I got to be a man. So I figured out, like, to be honest, my goal was just I figured out, like, man, I'm just going to go join the military and just go, go, forget about running. And if running comes back to me at some point, let it be, you know, and eventually Paul Cadam, eventually, like, he was the one who mentored me, actually, because we're in the same school. And Katam, Paul Cadam told me, like, hey, this is the world class athlete program. I called them and... Uh, my times wasn't enough to get me into WCAP, but I think your times, like, they need 1328 for 5K times. So can you call them and see whatever, like, they can tell you? So at that time, I signed my contract to join to join basic training. And I was like, let it be, you know, like, I'm just going to go to basic training and get a foundation and maybe running can back come back to me eventually. So I went to basic training. Uh, so before basic training... I was lucky to get the orders to come into WCAP, US Army World Class Agile Program. And uh, it just happened like that. It just happened like, like I was just, I was just lucky because if there was no WCAP, I wouldn't be a runner today probably. I'm, I don't know. I'd probably be an officer in, in the military right now or I would just be doing something else. So really... It's all about like life, you know, like I just have to put food in my table. I just have to, I just have to hustle hard and I just have to make a living. And, and I, and I realize like when people ate, they don't know what I've been through. They don't know, like I've been, I ran a 5k in Cameroon stadium. I ran a 5k in a dirt truck. And I remember that 5k when I ran that 5k, I ran like eight laps and I got kicked out of the track because I got lapped in a 5k running barefoot and i remember i ran a cross-country race in kenya i was third last i was like second or third to be last you know barefoot so coming from that like that type of life coming going through that and now like nike is sponsoring me i have like the best shoes in the world and you're gonna put me in a race again as someone who has had like shoes the whole the whole time and then you're gonna think like that guy like you're gonna think like that guy is gonna like beat me i mean i'm just gonna do my best just to do all i can to win that race because i know where i've come from and i know what what i need to get it to get it through in life so if that person or if someone like who has been through that good life hates on me because i'm just becoming successful it's just because it's it's not anything else it's just because i'm so i'm so i have that fire in me and i really really want it so I'm a guy. I'm a guy like I'm. I'm willing to die in a race, and trust me, if I die in a race one day, I'll, that's the best way I could die, man. I could be happy because I know I was hustling and I know I was. I was putting it. I was going. I was digging in a dip. So uh, that's pretty much. That's pretty much me. We don't want you dying in any races. 
People love the guy who dies to die, digs deep, but no dying, Paul. But yeah, it, that seems to be the mentality you have in these races, you know, in the lion, and you really seem to appreciate the opportunity here and probably running as a career more so than a lot of American runners. Would you say that's a fair assessment? No, I mean, like, these people were really passionate about it, you know? These just people, like, are running just because they really love running. That's the big difference. And, uh, and uh, I mean, I can't speak for someone else, you know? I can't speak for someone else. And uh, as I say, like, the Americans, the USA, they've taken me, like, they've taken me and made me part of their family. And I really love that. And we always got to work together to, to accomplish the main goal, which is to medal at the you at the at the at the at the world level at the top level. So if we are if you are not united, then we're gonna get we're gonna get smoked by the Ethiopians and the Kenyans. So that's pretty much what what I, what is in my mind. So you think you need to start working? Say if Lopez Lamong's on the five K team, you think team tactics can help in those races? It's not every man for himself. No, I mean. I mean, when it gets to a point like the goal is just to beat another American, you know, <laughs> that defeats the purpose, you know. The goal should be, the goal should be, with, we should be going to the world level and and try to medal and get the medals and, and bring the medals home. But the goal is just for me to go smoke someone else in a race, like target Lopez Lomong and smoke him in a race, you know, like it's, it just defeats the purpose, and I mean, I'd rather let Lopez. I'd rather Lopez win gold, and I get silver or bronze. That would be fine. But if but Lopez gets seventh place and I get eighth place, that would be worthless. I wouldn't even like be happy about it. Like, or even if if Lopez gets seventh and I get eighth. I mean, if if Lopez gets seventh and I get if I get eighth, if I get seventh and Lopez gets eighth. I wouldn't be happy about that because still my goal would be I just want to get a medal and that really defeats the purpose. So, and I just don't want to put that in my mind because that that puts me away from my goals. It puts me away from my goals, which is a medal at the Olympic Games. So I'm just going to keep going and uh, and the goal is just to work together to get to get to accomplish that one big goal, which is to medal at the Olympics and the world level. So. I mean, you've already got the Olympic silver, so if you think about it, the only thing sort of left is the Olympic gold, and I guess I mean, the one thing also you haven't really done is run super fast. Do you feel you need to run a super fast time to show you can compete in any type of race and that'll help you for the Olympics, or do you view the championship races as completely different? You know, I've always said one thing. I'm, I'm a really, like since college, and I know that, I'm a championship racer. I really don't care about times. I really don't care about when races go out. I mean, I want fast races, but when you put me in a championship, if you put me in a race today, just a regular race, yes, I'll race. But put me in a championship race, I'm going to race to win. So uh, that's the big difference. And um, and that's why that's why I just have different bursts of energy. If I get to the Olympics, man, I'm just going to do whatever I can do to medal. Just go all out. But any other race, you know, the goal is just to 
perform and do my best. Because if I try to run fast every time, every day, every race, I'm running fast. You know, like I'm just I'm just gonna race for a few years and be gone. But really, as I said, my goal is just to have a longer career and. Uh, Soon and very soon, I might just uh, find a big race to try test times. But but before that, my goal is just to medal in a championship. Because since since 2016, the only year I've had to to really run fast or change chase fast times is the uh, it was 2018. Because 2018 was an championship year. Since then, it's just been championships here. So I don't believe in that mentality of running really fast on a championship year. Because it really like defeats the purpose. That really drains a lot out of you, and uh, so I don't believe in that. And and I just have to, and I just have to like focus on one main goal, which is the championship. Because if I train really really hard, like before a championship, and before like so, if I let's say if I'm picking to to race uh, really fast in March, I mean in May in June, you know. That's to mean like if you're trying to run like sub 12 of 55 in a 5k race, you really have to train really hard because you are supposed to run a PB. You have to push your body too much. And then after that, you got to come back and recover a bit and then start pushing again for a championship race. You know, unless unless I unless I have something else helping me to recover real quick, other than that, my body is not built to do just a lot of things back to back to back. I I really believe in picking and I want my body to pick at the right time and and when it's time to pick it's time to pick you know so that's just me my main goal. And some of these guys it's been speculated they're racing because they have to it helps to get so many races to make sure their Nike contracts are still valid. Are there any concerns like that on your end or you don't need to race at all this year? I have talked to I have talked to like uh Nike. I mean, I've talked to Paul Moza and the Nike guys, and I'm about to uh, I'm about to have a conversation with them again about it because I don't want to uh, breach the contracts, and because this time it's time of crisis, and 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 it's 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 just important, really important to take care of my body. Just really important to take care of myself than than trying to go do a small race and and probably like get sick and drains drains me all the way till the Olympics next year and and then it breaks. I mean, it defeats what the main goal is, which is to do really good at the championships. And so um, everyone understands, you know, like they know like the sponsors and everyone understands that it's a, it's a, it's a tough year and really, really they wouldn't expect me to travel all over the US and all over the world trying to race because it's for them it's good for them it's good for me to like also try to prevent the the spread because if i go race and come back and give it get my teammates sick and get everyone sick you know it's it's it defeats the purpose and it's it just breaks the whole thing so uh so i just have to i just want to and also it's 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 good for me to just like as i say like just to take my time and and bounce back, you know, like 2014, the whole of 2014, I was gone from running. I was gone, I was gone, like, and uh, I came back really strong. So really, for me right now, my just my main goal is just long term, just have a long term career. And and, um, and whatever, like, 
it's not my call. Like at this point, I think like my sponsors, uh, like Nike and my sponsors would determine like if I have to race or, 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 or not. But my goal is just not to race this year. Yeah, I don't see the point of racing just to say you technically got in a race. So hopefully they agree with you. Um, uh, you know, I guess there's the financial considerations. I saw you on Instagram. You're reading S- Stephen Schwarzman's book, What It Takes. And he's like the main benefactor of the uh, USATF Foundation. And I was looking it up. Like, you've gotten over 100 grand, I think, from the USATF Foundation. And I, I don't know. I used to think only like non-star athletes got money from them, but that's a significant amount of money. Like, I assume this year that's pretty helpful. But I don't know. What's your take on that? You know, the, the support you've gotten from them, and also the. I noticed you had the book. You know, before this interview, you've got the book. You're starting a newsletter. You're st- it looks like you're kind of thinking about a few things outside of running as well. Yeah. Uh, definitely, definitely, uh, Steven Schwarzman, Schwarzman has been, uh, my mentor outside running, you know, it's someone that I can, uh, it's a billionaire that I can have a conversation one-on-one, you know, apart from John Ledger, the team over CEO, uh, really Schwarzman, Steven Schwarzman has been really influential in my life. And, uh, it's someone that I've always, uh, he really believes in success and, everything and and whatever he's doing to us us usa tracking field is really amazing and I, I mean it's i'm just so happy because they reward the efforts of the athlete i will go i'll go i go out there and work really hard and they reward my efforts so uh it's really it's really nice and i'm thinking about just the goal like goal my goal is to have a longer career in running as i said to be really really good be a good marathoner and after that you know like it's it's jump into the business world and try to see what i can do with my life like after that so yeah that's usatf foundation kind of got brought into i don't know if controversy is the right word but gwen berry was protesting at last year's pan am games and then she didn't get the top grant this year and she sort of alleged that that's because she's protested and then now with Black Lives Matter and everything, it's sort of brings it into more public consciousness. Do you have any thoughts on athlete protest, what Gwen's alleging? It's kind of a broad question I'm asking, but I don't know. What, what's your whole take on what Gwen says? Because you're very appreciative of the foundation. Yeah, um, Gwen has been uh, rewarded by USATF Foundation in the past. And I really don't, I don't know, like, I mean, I can't speak for the USATF Foundation and speak for Gwen Berry. You know, they, USATF uh, put their part out there and Gwen Berry put a part out there. So it's up to, I mean, I cannot speak up to it. And uh, really, I don't know, like, what I can say about it. I mean, I just want to say to USATF Foundation for the support so far and, if it gets it gets to a time that it won't recognize me or anything, it's well and good because other people deserve it, and uh, and um, I can speak for that. I can speak for Gwen or speak for the USATA Foundation in this issue. Yeah, I guess I should ask you things you can't speak about. You know, as a black man from Africa, I'm curious your perspective on everything going on in America right now and just the movement. I mean, I think. It, I say everyone, but, you know, 
99% of people appreciate the concept of, of Black Lives Matter and treating people equally, but I mean, there's racism everywhere and America's, you know, lived up, hasn't lived up to its ideal. But I'm curious, like, what your perspective is coming from Kenya on just the social structure here? Because I learned so much the one summer I was, I was only eaten for like a week. And it was during, right before the 2008 election. It was after World Cross Country. And I was talking about Barack Obama and stuff. And it was fascinating. And these guys said to me, they're like, Obama will never be president. And I said, why? He said, America's too racist. And I said, nah, he'll win, I think, because he's black. People want, people want, he represents what's great about America. And then we started talking about Hillary Clinton. And they said, I'll have no respect if America elects a woman. It was just sort of interesting. And we had this talk. And then I said something. I'm like, oh, it seems tribal here. And they're like, yeah, yeah, it kind of is. And then the next year, there was all the tribal fighting in Kenya. I'm just like, I feel like the people exposed to more outside of the world, there's just such a big perspective out there. I'm just curious, you know, how you put all of these disparate things together. Yeah, I mean, for me, it's for me, it's been a journey. Like, I really appreciate uh, everyone, whether whether black or white, really appreciate that because, um, I mean, America, America, they have. I just don't want to look at the negative sides because life is really hard to look at the negative, everything negative. If people want to talk and people want to be like if people, I just try to avoid people who are really negative, you know, like, trust me, USA track and field, there's really nice people. And there's really a lot of negative people, people who ate, people were just full of eight. But to me, like that really doesn't break me. I know my goal and what I'm doing. It's 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 to, my main goal is just put food on my table and make my family happy. I don't want to make them happy because if um, so, because uh, I grew up in Kenya and um, really, really, I remember when I was young, I was so excited to see a white person. And then when I come here, three years down the line, the same white person, they're gonna make me feel like he hates on me. You know, and when I saw the white person in Kenya, I would be so excited. I know you've, you you can attest to that when you went to Kenya. You can attest to that, like kids will see you and be so excited, you know. So, I mean, like that was just me, like when I grew up in Kenya. And uh, now when I get to this point, like about like racism and everything, it really just breaks my heart. And it's a crazy, crazy world. And uh and uh, I'm a big believer in just always staying positive and always, uh, and always, always like, I'm just going to judge someone based on their heart, not on the color of their skin on how they look like. If you're going to be, if you're going to be rude to me and you're going to feel like, show me, you're going to hate me. Yes. I'm going to like, I'm going to avoid you and, and not be friends with you. But if you're going to come to me and be really friends with me and, Walk with me and show me that there's, there's light at the end of the tunnel. We can walk together. That's it. That's what I want. But only positive vibes. I don't need any negative vibes. And that's just me. And that's just me. And uh, and and if someone hates and I just try, I mean, my big goal and everyone should be like that. Just stay positive and love everyone because it's a small world, man. It's a really, really small world. And 
and and we're gonna leave this world eventually and some people the generation are gonna come and keep going so if you're gonna be like trying to feel like you own this old world and you feel like you're really more special than one other than another person it's just sad it's just sad and and it's just not the way to go so yeah yeah you're right i mean in kenya when you go to these villages the kids start running up yelling muzungo muzungo which means white man white man yeah and it you feel you do feel good you're like i think just people they're so excited to see you i don't feel good because i'm white but i feel good just these love these kids have for me and i think that's what we want more of the world we can hate people for a lot of reasons um and it's like yeah you looked up to white people and then here it sounds like you got here and some people – I think you were saying like you, you know, you've experienced some racism. Is that what you were alluding to? But Yeah. I mean I've experienced people who hate like – I think – I mean the good thing is that U.S. like in the United States like racism, it's, it's, it's like it's got to a point like before that it was in a point that people wouldn't show they're racist. You know, like they would just – they would just do something you think like they're just like not nice but now it's getting to a point like people are just showing the true colors of their skin you know so um it just like it's just like it's just tough you know like there was a time like i went to i went to like there was a time i was running on one of the neighborhoods and and i've never seen something like that like there was a sign that showed like it was like i'm gonna shoot something that moves you know something like that on those lines you know and i'm like wow so i'm just gonna keep running on these streets and then like one day you're gonna shoot on me like because i'm just and i mean like because of hate i mean you just don't even put such a sign out there you know that just shows like it's getting it's getting to a point that it's just becoming crazy and crazy every year as year goes by and um at first when i came i didn't i didn't think about it i didn't that wasn't that wasn't even in my mind like racism wasn't even in my mind and i would just respect everyone but now it's just getting to a point that i was so innocent i didn't know about it trust me i'll just i was so innocent about it and now it's just i'm getting to a point i'm starting to know something about it and uh, all this shooting and everything it's getting it's really scaring me and i really don't want my daughter to grow up in such an environment and if kids are going to start growing in such an environment trust me the next generation is going to be messed up because in america like at least in america people won't show you they're racist but now it's getting to a point that people are just like flexing their muscles they're like yeah yeah you know and uh i mean there needs to be a change and a change will just come eventually and and we just have to stand up and and it just starts with you it starts with an individual you know it starts with you if you're going to stay positive and, and do the best and love everyone it's just going to keep going but then if we keep hating on each other and trust me we wouldn't wouldn't get anywhere so that's just the main goal yeah so the, with the sign someone had a sign up saying they were going to shoot at you or something no, they're going to shoot something, anything that moves Oh. on their backyard. So, you know, like it's, that's scary. You know, if you see such a sign, it's scary, man. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, 
For sure. And I think running as a black guy in America is very different than running as a white guy. Because if I saw that sign, parts of rural America, I'd be like, okay, but I'm like, well, he's not going to shoot me. But, you know, I don't want that fear for anyone. And like you said, I got a, you got a two, almost two-year-old daughter and I have a two-and-a-half-month-old daughter. And, you know, I want them growing up in a America where everyone feels safe. And it's sort of disheartening for you to say, oh, I think people are starting to f- sort of flex racism because I feel like America is really progressing. But that's probably easy as me as a white guy to say. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's yeah, it's it's that it's just that way. But it's really sad when I teach my daughter the best values and then someone else teaches their son or daughter the worst values. And then my daughter comes and experiences that. Really, it's just uh, it's just sad if you're going to do that. And a small world man like we're not gonna live in this world for like a thousand years you know so that's what i think like i just always think like i just gotta live positive things in this world and just cause just make sure everything is positive and i'm not gonna think about like hating anyone else or doing anything anything bad to someone else so yeah yeah we got one shot at this and we all should be nice to each other and make the best of it because not only will we have a better world, but I think everyone themselves will feel better ultimately. So, yeah, I mean, treat people to, with love. You know, it gets to a point like one of the guys, like one of their guys that is running, like uh, like one of the guys was one day told me like, man, you know, like this US like track and field, man, it's becoming crazy. And I'm just even getting worried because one day I might be running and someone like just shoots me out of nowhere. I was like, wow, that's crazy. You know, like with all the shooting and everyone, everything, I was like, man, take it easy. You know, like if someone gets to a point that they start thinking about that, you know, it's just like, it's just becoming crazy. It's a crazy world. So, yeah. Yeah. Hopefully those incidents are totally, I don't know, definitely not the norm. But I think once we hear about them, we become yeah. very fearful. But, yeah, but, but uh, I would like to say one thing, though. Sure. That, but one thing I know about Let's Run, there's a lot of hate going on out there. And really, if you guys are not the, the people that are going to spread, like, are going to be the people that are going to spread, spread the good vibes, you know, it's like you guys lead that page, you know. If, if anything negative, you don't flag anything negative or anything, because I've seen a lot of hate there, you know, like, uh, it gets to a point that I don't want to visit Let's Run anymore. Because if I all I go there and I see is hate and too much crazy things, I wouldn't even try to go to such a site. But I just ask you guys like at this time, be like the this be like the positive you know, like flag all those keyboard warriors trying to write negative things and just crack down on the rules because it's it's just killing track and field and it's just killing even less run, trust me, to be honest. Because if people are just going to talk about, like, really hate and racist stuff, you know? It's just, like, that's just, like, it just builds, like, it just brings everything backwards. So that's just my thought. Yeah, no, thank you. I mean, we sort of... Public forums are, are hard in that sense. I mean, I, I hope you're talking more so about the forums than are... Yeah, exactly. The, the news yeah. side. And yeah. even with the forums... The goal is not to have all positivity because I want people to be able to talk about drugs. There's problems in corruption. There's problems in this. And if everything has to be positive, like that's the end goal. So people are you're going to find stuff where people are complaining. And I think you have to have that discussion. But sort of, 
I think drawing that line where people cross the boundary, it's we obviously are striving, trying to do, keep doing a better job with it. And it's very hard. I think Facebook and Twitter and stuff are seeing that. But like when an athlete like you says that, it sort of makes us take it to heart even more because like right there when you say that, I get a feeling in the pit of my stomach because I want to contribute positively to America and to the running community and that sort of stuff. And I really believe in like free expression and free dialogue. And I know people take that too hard. So I'm like, wait, how do we keep improving this place and crack down on hate? I think it, it's like, yeah, it's like sort of the speech that's like hate speech can just be so loosely defined, but like that's the speech you want to get rid of. Yes. It doesn't all have to be positive, but appreciate the words. And we obviously want to, well, I don't know if it's obvious, but we do want to do a better job. Yeah, definitely. But, but John had some ra- has some rapid fire questions here on the bottom of our show notes page. I think to end with to get it back on running, and we appreciate your time, John. Do you want to kind of do some of these rapid fire? Questions? Yeah, let's just run through these real quick. Favorite race of your career, Paul? Rio Olympic Games. Favorite venue to race at? Zurich, Switzerland. Why Zurich? Zurich is beautiful. The mountains, everything is nice. The roads are really nice. They're really organized. And every time I go there, they take really good care of me. Yeah, so I covered it that meet in 2017. It was awesome. Actually, that was the crazy finish with you and Mo and uh, Kajeltra yeah. and all those guys. Uh, yeah. Really fun to be in the building for that one. Yeah. Favorite person to race against? Lopez Lamont. Oh, yeah. <laughs> 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 That's what I needed, man. That was good, Paul. Uh, uh, what about hardest workout you've ever run? Um, two, 400 times 25. All of them, 60, 61s. And finished up with a 54. Uh, number, no, number, number 24. I think I did a like 49.50. And I ended up with a 54, 58, 54, 55. You did a 49 or 50? 49. Yeah, I've done a 49, 50 in 7,000 feet. When, all right, what was the rest on this workout? Usually it's one minute, 30 seconds or one minute. It depends. It depends on, uh, on recovery and my fatigue. And, but I think it was one minute. Usually like most of them is one minute. And when, uh, when was this workout? Uh, this was just before. This was just before, like the U.S. Championships, when I ran thirteen zero eight, wire to wire. So twenty seventeen. Yeah, twenty seventeen. Yeah. Gotcha. Yeah. Yeah, I think that was. Those are all my rapid fire ones. I'm curious, who's the like, most talented runner you've ever competed against or seen in training? Like competed against. Yeah, or just, or is there some guy in your like Kenyan high school who could have been really good and never got the chance? I'm just, there's so many good runners you've been exposed to, and just you know here in the states uh, on the circuit. Is there anyone who just super stands out? Like, oh, that's the guy. He's the best. Uh, I've never been. I've not been in running for a long time. Like ten, like eight years is a sh- really short time, and I've not got to a point that I think. I think like, but I would say, um, but definitely I would say it's Egos Gebrewat. 
because this guy has been in this running for a long, long time. Egos has been here like since since when I when I didn't even like I wasn't even running. Two thousand and remember Paris, the five K in Paris. Egos Gabriel was rolling, he was running fast then, and still is still running fast. So I would say probably Egos Gabriel and. Um, yeah, I just, I mean, I just, uh, I just haven't got time to check, like, you know, like five years of just competitive running is a really short time to gauge something, you know? So um, I would think of Egos, Gebreward, and uh, uh, Barrega is talented, but I think Yomif, man, Yomif Gajelcha, also Yomif Gajelcha, man, that guy is a huge talent. I think it's so, it really is really strong. Yeah. He's a good one. Yeah, Yomif is really strong. He's a really strong guy, and he's so. And Yomif, one thing I know about Yomif is very, very tough. Of all the five K runners I know, the toughest guy, man, I know is Yomif. Man, Yomif is very, very tough. Man, he doesn't want to. He's always out on himself, and he really, really doesn't want to quit. Yeah. Well, ho- hopefully, we see you, Yomif, and Hagos competing next year. I don't think I and can Lamont. take. The- Got to throw Lamont in. There. Oh. And Lopez, sorry Lopez, we're not trying to slight you. Yeah, I need to see some great 5K action next year. So I guess actually speaking of 5K, this thing's gone on too long. But there is a great 5K in Monaco supposedly this year, with a possible world record attempt. I forgot. I forgot. I forgot to say Joshua, man. Also Joshua is a talent, man. He's a huge talent. Joshua too, and Ronex Caputo. So, do you think? Joshua can get the world record. Do you think that's crazy? What are your thoughts on that race? And Joshua, man, I raced against Joshua like that was Zurich Diamond League and uh, just daddy last year. And Joshua was super strong, man. I've never seen Joshua that strong. And if he's gonna keep doing that, I think I don't think anything it's it's out of out of out of out of limits for now for Joshua. And it's he ran seven forty one. I think I in altitude, so um, I think he's gonna. Yeah, I think I think it's 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 within reach. And but um, that world record is no joke, though. It's no joke. It needs it needs you need to come in sharp. You need to have speed. You have to have endurance. Everything you gotta have everything, and you have to have a really good pacing to just get that record. So yeah. All right. Well. Everybody can watch that. I think it's August 14th. We'll probably won't be watching you till next year, but we look forward to it. Hopefully at the new Hayward Field. Yeah, when I... 2021 could be a great year. It could be a great year, everyone. When I show up, I'm going to show up hot as fire. <laughs> hotter than fire, though. Yeah. The lion will be hotter than fire. That's good. Yeah, I mean, I'm going to show up hot. So whatever I'm doing right now, it's just uh, based on uh, next year and... He's probably going to be this again. So someone should be prepared. He's showing us a wire-to-wire shirt. Yeah, it might be that. So they should be prepared. All right. All right. Thank you, Paul. Really appreciate it. All right. Thanks. Appreciate it.